So if you see me fidgeting with my sleeve, it's because Clark got me wet after that, uh, that second one. So uh, it's sticking to my arm a little bit. But it's all good. It's all good. Uh, but if you've been with us any amount of time uh, here at Iron City, uh, you would have noticed us preaching through the books of the Bible. Uh, not only that, but how Scripture is not only breathed by God, but how Jesus is woven into every book of the Bible. See, we've gone through Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, and now we find ourselves in the book of Numbers. But before we dive into this passage, I want to set up the book of Numbers for us. The first thing that you'll notice about the book of Numbers is that despite the title, it doesn't really have many numbers in it. Uh, it is called Numbers because at the beginning of the book, there is a, there's a census that is taken and Moses numbers the people. And that's where we get the, the title Numbers. The book of Numbers in the Hebrew Bible, however, is in the wilderness. And that gives us a better sense of what the book is about. It is these episodes in the wilderness after Israel uh, has been brought out from slavery in Egypt and they're being guided by God ultimately to the point they're going to be led to the promised land. It's about the Lord's instructions to them in the wilderness. It's about the Lord's provision for them in the wilderness. It's about their disobedience and it's about the way the Lord guides them in and through the wilderness. Now, if you don't know much about the book of Numbers, it is a non-ADD person's nightmare. It's fantastic for me. I completely understand it. ADD, going through numbers, I'm good, right? But if you are non-ADD, which hopefully the majority of you are, um, this book is not written in a chronological order. So it's written in a thematical Order. It, it, it is arranged to give us theological teaching about who God is. And that it does in a very organized and systematic way. See, this book is going to give us some clear teachings about who God is and about who the Israelites are and about how it is that God and his people are supposed to interact with each other. So the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning as we, dive into the, as we dive into Numbers 9, is, is what is this teaching us about God? And what we find is, what it's going to teach us, is by showing us his actions. See, this is often how we learn about people, isn't it? You, you, can, you can hear about somebody through conversations. You can learn about somebody in a sense of their characteristics by what they list on their resume. But in order to really know someone, you have to be around them, right? They can have the best resume in the world, but they can be an absolute pain to deal with, right? Doesn't, because they have great characteristics doesn't mean they're a great person. You can learn about them through a resume, but, but you really get to know them when you're around them and other people. You see, that's, uh, you see how they engage with others. That, that is how you get a sense of who a person really is. Not so much a list of characteristics that may, they, they may put on a piece of paper. You find out who they really are by spending time with that person. The, the Bible doesn't just list how great God is. It shows us 
what he did, and by showing us what he did, it tells us who he is. You get to know him, you get to understand him, and you're able to worship him with more clarity. So as we look at Israel here in Numbers 9, we see that it was, how, it was now time for the talking and the preparing to end and for their actions to start. It was time for the Israelites to put their feet into motion and begin the journey into the wilderness, marching towards the promised land. So that's where we find ourselves now at Numbers 9. You see, there, were, there was so much that was unknown. Where would they camp? What, what would they eat or drink? When would they get there? Would, there? would their mission be a success? There must have been quite a few uneasy hearts in the camp. There had to have been, right? You kind of know where you're going, but you don't know when you're going to get there. Had all these questions and concerns. But there was one thing that would not be an, an unknown, however. They wouldn't have to go into the wilderness alone. God was going to go with them. The first thing that we see is that we must know God's presence. We must know God's presence. See, the Israelites was, uh, was, were this nation of people who were uh, going through the wilderness who needed God to guide them. Uh, they were headed to the promised land and, and God was going to keep his promise that he had made to them if they would continue to trust and obey his will. And see, the tabernacle, as we, we discovered in Leviticus, the tabernacle was the visible symbol of God's presence in the midst of his people. You see, they, they built this special tabernacle with uh, the guidance of the Lord. It was not just an empty symbol, however. It was inhabited by the cloud of God's glory that descended on it the very first day that it was set up. Just as God had accompanied them out of Egypt on the way to Mount Sinai by the means of the pillar of cloud and fire, so now the same pillar would rest on the tabernacle. God was present with his people. That was their comfort. That was their comfort for their uneasy hearts. The cloud was the very presence of God. But see, God was not just present with them. God was not just there as an observer. God was not just there to be along for the ride. He wasn't their co-pilot, right? He was there leading and guiding them every step of the way. God was going to lead them into the promised land by means of the cloud. The Lord would tell Israel when they were to set out and when they were to camp. See, I used to go hiking a lot, and I loved it. And I know what you're saying to yourself. He a big guy. There ain't no way he loves hiking. And you're wrong. I do. I, I don't get to do it as much as I used to, but I do. I still love it. Um, I, I especially loved it when we were able to stop and camp. Uh, because I was tired. Um, but I wasn't, and I still am, not the fastest, fastest hiker out there. I don't know if you know that or not about me. But, but I used to love getting out in the woods and seeing everything around me. The, the wildlife, the, the silence at night when I was in my hammock about to fall asleep. By the way, I always felt like a hanging burrito for a bear just to come and enjoy 
Every time I was in Miami, I mean, every time. And, and I would have to be, I, I would definitely be a grande burrito. Just want to put that out there. Uh, but I, I just wanted to let you guys know, that's what I felt like. And I still feel like that whenever I'm in my hammock uh, on the trail. But the one thing that I hated about hiking was a saying that the, the, the lead guy would always tell us whenever we stopped to rest, right? He was the guy with the GPS and he knew the coordination. He knew, he knew the coordinates to where we were going to be uh, staying that night. And sometimes someone, most of the time me, would ask how much further. And he would, he would go to, he would look at his GPS and he would say, two more miles as the crow flies. <laughs> Which in my head, I was trying to add up how many more miles that was in fat guy math. I mean, like, I was like, it's not two more miles. I hated that saying because it wasn't two more miles. It was, it was like five more miles because the trail would, would make so many turns. But, but we were dependent on what that GPS was telling us to help us reach our destination. We were dependent on that GPS. You see, the cloud tested their uh, dependence on God. The cloud tested their dependence on God. The vast wilderness was an unfamiliar territory. I don't know how many times y'all been on the Penhody Trail, for those of y'all that live around here, but a lot of y'all know where the shelters are in place and stuff like that, and so y'all are able to go. But, like, you are now on the AT. And you don't know the, I mean, like, unless you study that map, you don't know where you're going, right? And so you have all this unfamiliar territory, a land of desert and rifts, droughts and darkness. This was a place that no one traveled and that no one wanted to live in. And yet the Israelites are here in the midst of it where there's dangers everywhere. And so they have become dependent. They need, they must become dependent on God. See, God knew the right days for them to move on and the best days for them to stay put. The cloud did not move every day. Its presence demanded their constant attention. Verse 17 through 22 says, Whenever the cloud lifted from the, the, above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. By this, the Israelite people discerned the Lord's direction for their journey. It required a good deal of trust. Why did it require a good deal of trust? Because sometimes they were permitted only a single night's rest. Whereas other times they could stay there at the campsite for a few days or a month or even a year. See, there were days, there were days when they were making progress and others when it seemed like they would never move again. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar. And sometimes in our, or another in our lives, life has its waiting times. The evidence of God's care appears limited, even sometimes not even there. And in those times, we wish God would just speak to us more clearly about why we're going through such darkness and why we're going through such trials. There are people in here today, church family, there are people in here, there are families in here today that have asked these same questions and some days you feel like it's really hard to even hold on. Church, listen to me when I say, listen to me when I say that, that you're not alone. 
You're not alone. Let me encourage you this morning by saying that the waiting times in your life are not the wasted times. The waiting times in your life are not the wasted times. God is still present even in the waiting times. God is still present even in the waiting times. John Flavel says that you exercise the faith of adherence when you have lost the faith of evidence. Shabani, a man a lot of you might have known in the, in the past, preached a message here several years ago that was titled, Trust Him When You Cannot Trace Him. Just as God's presence was with the Israelites in the desert, in the waiting times, when they felt like they would never move again, for those who are in the Christ Jesus, the same God is with you. God's word says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I thank God. I thank God for his presence to someone like me, me who clearly doesn't deserve his guidance over my life, but God is faithful even when I am not. Did you hear me, church? God is faithful even when we are not. You see, even in the waiting, the cloud demanded their obedience to God. Even in the waiting, the cloud demanded their obedience to God. Then they had to be ready to move wherever and whenever the Lord was going to take them next. The Lord does his part in providing them with the guiding, but they must do their part in responding to his direction. Just as he does for us today, the Lord does his part in providing the guiding, but we must do our part in responding to his presence and direction. In the waiting, we must be preparing. In the waiting, we must be preparing to move in whatever direction God leads next. How do we do this? How do we know what God's direction is for our lives? We do this by keeping our focus on God. The things of God. The mind of God. In order to know the mind of God, we must submit to the will of God. And for the, the, the first step is to put saving faith in Jesus Christ. Then and only then will you move out of darkness into God's marvelous light. See, Jesus called himself the light of the world and he promised those who followed him that they would never walk in darkness. It's wonderful, church family. It's wonderful to walk in the light and enjoy fellowship with God. It is. To walk in darkness means to be out of the will of God, apart from the blessing of God. Why live in the shadows or in darkness? when you can live in freedom by walking in the light. See, John, you don't understand. You don't, you don't, you don't understand. You don't understand the things that I've done in my past. You, you, God can never use me. God can never use me. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that is a lie. That is a lie from the enemy. Because the truth is God can use whoever he wants. Why in the world, why in the world did he choose to use the crazy guy that would do anything for a laugh at White Plains High School to come and be a pastor at a church that he grew up in? Do y'all know I used to shoot fireworks out of the back of my truck? You can laugh, it's fine. It was several years ago. I haven't done it in the past. A couple months. Just kidding. 
I used to shoot fireworks out, along with other things that I won't bring up on Sunday morning uh, because of who may be watching. But I'd still get a whooping, by the way, if my mom found out half the things I did. No. But he, God can use anybody he wants. See, we ask the same question here with the Israelites, right? Why, why, are we, why, why choose the Israelites? We know what happens for those that have read the Bible. We know that they turn their back on God several times and they, they're, they're, they're constantly going to God, turning away from God, going to God, turning away. God, why did you use the Israelites? God could have used any other people group that he wanted to. Why the nation of Israel? God certainly didn't choose them because they were better. We will see that play out in the book of Numbers, right? The two main reasons were God was fulfilling a promise to Abraham because he keeps his promises, and God wanted Israel to serve as his model nation. They definitely didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve to be God's chosen people. Don't let this shock you this morning, but none of us deserve God's presence or his favor. None of us deserve God's presence or his favor. By nature, we are all sinners and strangers to a God and his love. Yet, in his mercy and grace, we have hope, right? He promises both his presence and his favor to those who come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul puts it in Romans 5, 1 and 2, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace that which, which we stand. What Paul is saying is that we didn't always have peace with God or access to his presence, but now we have both. We have both of those things through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say three chapters later that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of, uh, spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that, set, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 1 through 8. God's wrath remains on those who are alienated from him. But there is no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. No. On the contrary, they, they now experience peace and fellowship with God. But see, it's not just about saying a prayer. Your relationship with Christ is not just about saying a prayer and getting baptized so that you can get your get out of hell card. That's, that's not how this works. That's not how the Bible instructs us 
to live our lives. See, we must show obedience to what God has called us to do. We must show obedience to what God has called us to do. Not that we have to, but that we desire to. Brings us to our next point. We need to show obedience to the Lord's direction. We must show obedience to the Lord's direction. Verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Before I share this next illustration, I have to put a disclaimer out there. My wife has never said this nor done this. This is only an example, not a real life experience. So I don't want you to think, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's done that. But she did. She's right there. Um, so, but imagine if you would, let me set this scenario up. Imagine if you would going camping. Uh, hopefully a lot of y'all have gone camping in the past. Y'all kind of know what I'm talking about here. But whether you camp in a tent or you camp in a camper, there are still, there are still hassles to setting up, right? There's still hassles uh, when you get there, when you first set up. Uh, you've got everything set up and ready to go. You, you've got all the rocks out from underneath the tent and, and your sleeping bags like you like them. Maybe, maybe you even have an air mattress set up in the tent to where like you'll get like sure enough better sleep. For those of y'all that have campers, maybe you're leveled out, right? The sewage and the water are all hooked up and you're ready to relax. Maybe you've got a zero gravity chair sitting right there underneath the awning and you're ready to get in that thing and just go, right? Just lean back. I mean, it's leveled so well that the bathroom door in the back actually closes and shuts like it's supposed to. Like, I can never get that, by the way. I don't know if anybody else has that problem. I can't get that thing leveled for nothing. Like, my door just, it just slings wide open. Anyways, but everything is perfect. And then, and then, your spouse comes in and says, I don't like this campsite. Let's move somewhere else. I was steaming just topping this out as if it was really going on because it's never happened. But in my mind, I'm just like, are you crazy? I, I'm, I'm, I've just got everything set up. I mean, I just got my gloves off from hooking up the sewage. I mean, like, there's no way I'm moving, right? I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> I would never tell my wife to go move somewhere else. I'm just <laughs> like, you move it. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But see, as funny as that illustration is, and not true as it is, it's not true. Uh, this is exactly how some of the Israelites would act and did on occasions. They refused to move. And you'll see that play out in the numbers. Uh, they refused to move. They were set. And when they did, they realized quickly that when they chose to ignore the presence of God, that they found themselves out of the will of God. They ch when they chose to ignore the very presence of God, they found themselves out of the will of God. They refused to move because they were comfortable. They refused to move because they were comfortable. Some of you in here today have ignored God's call on your life by giving every excuse you can think of. 
I'm too young. I'm too old. I, I, I don't have the knowledge to share the gospel. Uh, I don't have the time to serve or to go on missions. You have become comfortable where you are. And this morning you are ignoring a call that God has placed on your life. Maybe you're in here today and you are ignoring the call to come and to lay down your life and to follow Jesus Christ. And God has been calling you to come to him and find rest and peace and hope in Christ, but you go home each week saying that you'll give your life to Christ another day. There's still things that you want to do. God is giving you direction for your life and you are ignoring it each and every time you make excuses. Did you hear me, church? God is giving you direction for your life and you are ignoring it. You're ignoring it each time you make excuses. As Christians, as Christians, just as the Israelites were, we are called to go where he leads just as the people of Israel. You see, the Israelites were to take their direction from the cloud and to follow its leading. We are to take our direction from God's word, his scriptures. We are to take our direction from God's word. And those are his scriptures, right? Which direction? Which direction? All of them. All of them. There are no commands in God's word that are irrelevant or negotiable. Right? There are, they're, they're not proposals or suggestions. They are only commands. See, for, for we too were and are the wandering people of God. See, we too face a daunting journey through the wilderness, surrounded by hostile terrain and, and, and many enemies. We We may not literally travel through a land without water and food as they did or face battles against physical enemies. But we too have many struggles in this world. Your life's not going to be perfect following God. Your life's not going to be easy following God. So get that out of your mind. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible teaches. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Church, this world is not our home. This world is not, and right now, it's not the best environment for Christians. And it seems to grow more and more difficult each and every day. Jesus puts it this way in John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were in, of, of the world, the world would love you as its own. And we see that each and every day, don't we? But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In this day and age, what is needed, if you are to survive this journey and make it to the other side, you need exactly the same two things 
that they needed. You need the presence of God with you and, and you need to obey his direction. Any other direction that you take besides the one that God is leading you on will lead you to failure. You don't believe me? Keep living the same way you're living. To keep us in the right direction, to help us to do God's will, we have the Holy Spirit within us, the Word of God before us, and the interceding Savior above us who is providentially working on our behalf. See, to guide Israel through their journey, God had them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They never went without food, never went without water or shelter. Their sandals never wore out. Our kids destroy uh, like shoes within a month. Like, the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. And, and not once did they have to worry about their clothes or their shoes wearing out. The times they went, uh, went where the cloud did not lead them, they, they met with terrible defeat. They're, they were outside the will of God. Therefore, we should find out what the will of God is for our lives and then walk in that will. Listen to me, church. As I said before, God is a God who gives his word and keeps it. God is a God who acts through speaking and whose people are guided and governed by his word. It starts in the beginning of the Bible. God created everything by his word. When we talk about our salvation in the New Testament, it says that we were born again by the living word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God and the one, one of our active responses to God is to be rooted in God's word. Jesus says that the one who loves me, the ones who love me, keep my commandments. And so this morning, God is a God who doesn't remain silent, nor goes back on what he promised. So we must be a people committed to following God's word and a people who listen and then act on his word. We must be a people committed to following God's word and a people who listen and then act on his word. We must be lovers of truth and run from darkness into everlasting light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So as I close this morning, I have to ask you, are you running from God's direction for your life? Are you running from God's direction for your life? From his call on your life? Ask yourself this morning, where is God leading me? Maybe this morning uh, you would have, uh, you'd say that you're not the spiritual leader of the house that you should be, and you know it. Maybe this morning you have no idea who this Jesus is and you would like to know more. Would you come and, and talk with us and, and, and let us share with you what a real relationship looks like with God, with a God who loves you and died for you so that you might be saved? Will you come this morning? Church, I'll end with this. We must follow where God leads. We must follow where God leads. His plans for our lives are far greater than any dream that we could ever dream. So will you follow where he leads? Will you keep the charge and the commands of the Lord? It's not a question of if he calls, but when. I pray that we will say yes and that we will go to where he leads. Let's pray this morning.
Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.